Good evening, welcome to Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz broadcasting live on WBSM and also on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and great to be back on the air after the Red Sox kicked us off last week. We had a great show planned with Jeff Belanger and the Red Sox went to 11 innings, lost anyway, so it was a giant waste of our time sitting around here. But we will reschedule Jeff for some time in the future. As my friend Jane would say, that's just pants. Yes. That's just pants. So, uh, But tonight we have a great show planned, and I'm excited for this one. We've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Uh, we are going to talk with Christopher Quartino, formerly known as Christopher Lutz, and we're going to be talking about his experiences living in the Amityville Horror House. He was one of the Lutz family that spent 28 days there, and uh, we will speak with him about everything that went on, and including some of his upcoming projects, which, you know, we we talk on this show all the time about the Amityville case. We've, we've had Ryan Katzen back on, Jackie Barrett. We've talked about the DeFeo side of things. We've never talked about the Lutzes, what, what, what they went through, both in that house and in the years that happened afterwards. And to me, the important part of the story isn't just what happened in those 28 days, but what they've had to endure. And I'm not talking about just paranormal phenomena. I'm talking about having to deal with the stigma of being that family and how that affects their lives and how it still does even to this day. So we're going to talk about all that and more with Chris. Uh, And as always, the phone lines will be open for you at 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. You can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can jump in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Say hi to everybody in the chat room tonight. And uh, you can also text us your questions at 508-444-2661. So plenty of ways to get a hold of us during the course of the discussion, but... I'm telling you, lock the doors, pull down the shades, as we say uh, on the bumpers, because it's going to be a, a creepy night for you for sure. So let's uh, bring our guest right on, Christopher Corotino, formerly known as Christopher Lutz. If you know anything about the Amityville Horror Case, you know at least part of the story of what Chris and his family had to endure. But now uh, he's here to share with us the entire story. Good evening, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Oh, we're glad to have you. I mean, you actually contacted me when we had Ryan Katzen back on, uh, I think it was almost a year ago, and uh, you were telling me that uh, you know there's so much more to the story than what we're being told, and I'm glad that you could join us to to share that with us. I just want to ask you this right off the bat. I mean, what annoys you the most about the way that your family and what you've endured has been portrayed over these last thirty plus years? Well, you know, for me, I uh, I was just a kid at the time. So, I had no say in how any of this story got told. Mm-hmm. Had no part in writing the book or what got added or what got left out or um, that it should even come out in the first place. Back in those days, it was taboo to talk about such a thing. You know, you may have been having something going on in your house, but you didn't dare tell anyone. And so, 
for that story to go out the way that it did, it captured people's attention. That was just, it just became something that, that, uh, people all over grabbed to because so many people were having their own problems in their own homes. But as and finally, same- somebody said something about it. And then when it did get said, it didn't get said correctly. So mm-hmm. everybody that is looking at this as mm, these things happen, but then when they started to hear some of the claims and the claims got blown out of proportion, and, the, uh, you know, there's amazing... There was a statement that I once by a presidential candidate. It was Ross Perot. I thought he was a smart man. He didn't make it for president. But this was something that he had said. You could spend your entire lifetime building your reputation and lose it in an instant. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that were added to that story, didn't matter how credible you are, you add... I'm looking for a uh, a radio friendly word. Oh, we uh, we we don't shy away. Actually, it's usually when we talk about Amityville that the uh, the bad words come out. Just uh, just ask Jackie Barrett. But when when you're dealing with you know when when there's stuff that's added to a story that it's peppered and spiced with all this other buffet of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it the thing loses its entire credibility. Um, that there was even a, this of something that could have happened there. Now, if we think about this, you, you guys been looking at paranormal for how long? Long time. Matt Ma- yeah. Moniz has been uh, checking it out probably since you were living in that house. I've been doing it about twenty five years. Okay. Now, is there any reason that a house that just was the site of a mass murder would not be haunted? Would not be haunted? Yeah. Is there any reason the house where a murder of six people had taken place in the manner that, uh, you know, whether you buy that they were shot and nobody heard the shots, or whether you buy whether he a demon on him like he said before, and now he said he didn't, and now he says he does, you know, is there any reason that that major massive massacre that took in took place in there where those four children were brutally murdered at close range with a rifle that is designed to take down elk. Is there any reason that there would be anything that would happen as a result of that murder? For them not to be there uh, would be would be that they would cross o- had crossed over, as some people would put it. Um, okay. But the negative psychological imprint would would be there would, no matter what. I would think that the house would still retain the memory of it. You know, there would be, you know, if you subscribe to the stone tape theory, mm-hmm. that, you know, that energy that was imparted there emotionally and as well as physically is retained by the materials in the, in the house and the surrounding structure. So, yeah, something should still be left there. And in my personal opinion, I can't say scientifically that it's there, but... In my personal opinion, there's definitely something there. I mean, I get it at Lizzie Borden's house all the time, another place where plenty of murders have happened and stuff happens in there like crazy. And, and Chris, I would, I would say, coming from a kind of a different perspective, 
is the idea that everybody that goes into that house from that day forward is going to know about those murders and is going to have that in the back of their minds. So they're actually going to help keeping Agreed. that perpe- perpetuated. So Yes, because what, what your imagination will do to you is almost as bad as what the paranormal can. Mm-hmm. So now when you were looking at the house with your family, I don't know how much you'll remember from that, you know, being seven years old at the time, but when you go there and you look at the house with the real estate agent, I, I can't imagine that at that point you didn't realize what had gone on in the house. Maybe you weren't aware, but I, I can assume that George and Kathy were. Um, when when they first, when my parents first went to go look at that house, uh, none of us kids were with us, I don't believe. Um, and I don't think that I had made it into that house until it was time for closing. And I believe we were down in the basement, and I recall saying to my mom, George, and the real estate lady, is this where they hid the bodies? Now, that was, that's what I remember as a seven-year-old uh, in relation to That's my first recollection of me, you know, that I can re- recall back to that, okay, right here, I definitely knew about murder or about the murders in the house. And did I even understand at seven years old what it meant to be murdered or, or just die mm-hmm. um, when I'm told that? I don't recall the conversation where we were told um, but according to my stepdad, and there's plenty that I disagree with him on, um, but according to him, uh, we as a family were told, and I guess our decision made it, made it matter to them to buy it, as a seven-year-old would know what it meant to ask him, is it okay? Anyway, um, so yeah, uh, I did know uh, as we moved in, um, but at that point in life, what do you really know? I mean, uh, I, 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 back then was a different time, and the way that children learn was much different than what we have today. Um, as kids back in the early 70s, uh, you weren't exposed to the level of murder and death that you are as, as, as a young kid in today's society oh, where sure, yeah. every channel that you flip there's there's a portrayal of something like that immediately in front of your eyes from channel to channel back then we were watching Happy Days Lassie, Scooby-Doo in the morning and uh, you know on, on Sunday mornings uh, for me it was Abbott and Costello uh, meet Frankenstein meet you know and then you got Godzilla and King Kong mm-hmm. that's what you know as a 7 year old um, so moving in that house, I don't, I did not really understand, you know, real, real haunting or what any of that is. So, so I, did, I don't know that I walked in, you know, I didn't walk in there knowing what was going to happen or what could happen or anything to that effect. I was moving in, a new stepdad, and uh, that's how it started for me. Well, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned a new stepdad, because I think a lot of people don't realize that George and Kathy hadn't been married very long when you moved into that house, right? Yeah, correct. You know, um, uh, my 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 natural father and my mom had been to him. That would have been, like, around when I was five. Uh, mom was a uh, single mom taking care of three kids uh, to support herself and, and the house that she had. Uh, she worked nights in an all-night 
diner, uh, graveyard shift. She worked the counter and, you know, whatever tables came in. And George would come in frequently uh, and sit at the counter and, you know, tell her jokes. And one was a good-looking lady. Um, and um, she she wasn't ready to get involved in another relationship, I don't think, at the time. And maybe she was wanting somebody in her life. You know, that's a tough position for any single mom out there. Um, and one night, mom's car wouldn't start as she needed to get home. And George wound up chasing her down on, on his... So she, mom started walking home. George chased her down on his Harley trike and was the... Give her a ride home. That did turn into a love uh, that developed into marriage on July 4th, 1975. Mom sold her house. And then uh, us three kids moved with mom into George's house. And George's house was too small and they began looking for a house for all of us. Um, I don't know how many houses they looked at first, but they were in the market to buy a house that was going to be big enough for all of us. And um, the DeFeo property, that, that what used to be 112 Ocean Avenue, now called 108 Avenue, uh, Ocean Avenue in Avenueville, New York, is a beautiful property. The, water, the house is on the water with a boathouse in the back. You can jump in your boat while it's still in the in the water, covered in basically a garage, in the water, and back your boat out, drive it down the creek, through the Long Island Sound, out into the Atlantic Ocean, and anywhere else on the eastern seaboard that you wish to go. How cool would that be? Yeah. All right. Now, it was three stories above ground with a full basement, and it had a swimming pool for 80000 bucks, a 3000 square foot home on the and and uh, I know that would you be interested in a property like that if I showed it to you? <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I would tend to look at the history of the house and say, you know, you know, that's a shame that that happened, but we can't pass up on this deal. Let's have it now, and then thirty, forty years from now, when we're ready to sell and get a smaller house when the kids are all grown up, we're going to make so much money back on our investment. So it just made sense from start to finish. If you're just if you're comfortable with what went on, then. You know, it's George, a no-brainer. George had, George had his business that was uh, second generation, actually third. His grandfather had started it. It was a, uh, a local land surveying business, and there was no reason he couldn't move his operation into the garage, uh, into the basement of that house, mm-hmm. and save himself on the on the fees associated with the real estate to rent or, or own the property that that business is run out of. And, and, and he already he, owned a boat, and too, And he already right? had two boats yeah. that he owned. Not just one, two boats that he was paying docking fees on. And now th- those costs were going to be gone. He was going to have the business uh, rental costs gone because that was going to be in the basement. Mom had money from the sale of her house. So, you know, all this all this talk I've heard of through the years and people trying to dispute it, saying, oh, let's just wanted to get out of the mortgage that they couldn't afford. Well, with the... With the substantial savings that they were saving on all the other things that they didn't have to pay and with the substantial down payment they bought the house with with mom's money from her last house um, plus they sold the house that George was in so you know it's not as though they were you know desperate and needed to come up with a good ghost story 
-hmm. And it's not as though they weren't looking for a house before they bought this one, that they just bought it because, oh, I can do something. Um, it was a time and a place and, a, and a, um, you know, an opportunity for a house that was, hey, anybody out there that, that wouldn't be interested in a house on the water on Long Island, New York, if you liked that part of the country, you know, at that kind of price, you're kind of, you know, so I don't, you know, they fell in that love with the house before they knew what the history was. Well, so, um, one thing I that I'll ask you, and I think I, th I think only you can really answer this, or, or someone from your family can answer this. And we know about the dysfunctionality of the DeFeo family. We've we've heard through so many reports over the years that things just weren't well with them at home. But what was it like for your family when you guys moved in? I mean, were you still adjusting to life with George? Were you was he still trying to learn how to be your dad, and you were still trying to learn to call him dad? I mean, or or was by this point was was the house a unifying factor, bringing everybody together? Well, you know, I need to straighten something out because uh, there was a there was something false that was in the 2005 movie that may even throw people off right here. You know, George, uh, my natural father was not dead, like they say within the first five minutes of that 2005 movie. Mom was not a widow. My natural father was still alive, and we saw him regularly for visitations on Sundays. So, and so my real dad was still in my life, um, so I wasn't ready to call George dad. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, George kind of showed up in my mom's life, and I, so this is all new to me that mom is somebody other than my dad. Um, I didn't know how to handle that. Um, you know, but George showed up. You know, back then I'm still riding my big wheel. And George shows up on a Harley trike and says, oh, yeah, can your big wheel do this as he turns <laughs> and wheelies down the road? Well, how do you think that would play off for a seven-year-old? I think it'd be pretty cool. Wow! <laughs> so, so it, then you know, it's, it's obviously... So George, George had this impression on us kids that was just, you know, what do you have to do? This guy's an ex-Marine. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He's getting us involved in karate and in, in jiu-jitsu lessons. Me and my brother are learning how to fight. At, you know, now we're fighting each other at a skill level like we've never had before. And um, you know, it. Um, and but George was kind of you didn't know how to deal with him. You know, most of the time he'll laugh, but piss him off, and he would change completely different person. And so, um, you know, he's a former marine. Um, uh, he had his ways and I wasn't ready, you know, to call him dad and I didn't know what was going on. And, but for the most part, at, at that, by that point, my mom and, and George were getting along great. It was like a big honeymoon. Now, you know, not only are we married, but now we've got this big house and, you know, we're moving in and, you know, we can get Christmas and set up and have a great Christmas. You know, we were there for Christmas and New Year's. By mid-January, we were out of there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, man, I went a whole bunch of different ways on that question. Well, so, but I mean, no, but I mean, that's, that's insight that I've never heard before, you know, and that's something that knowing what we know about hauntings and about, especially if it's beyond just a simple, you know, spirit of a dead person type phenomena, that it would prey on, on certain family situations. But it sounds like, you know, things weren't, 
you know, they were still still working things out, but it sounds like things were relatively happy for you, and it sounds like, uh, you know, there, there shouldn't have been any reason for this to prey upon you. Uh, but uh, one question I will ask, and, and this is something that I've, I've never heard addressed either, I've heard the stories uh, through Jay Anson's book and through interviews with, with your parents on TV that the first sign of phenomena in the house was your mom being touched on the hand. I was wondering, was there any history of paranormal activity in your family before that that you've ever heard about? Um, you know what? That's a really good question. and It is relevant. I'm leaving that off the table for now. Okay. But, I mean, but it's, it's something that would have been upsetting either way. I mean, it's not like it was a common occurrence, you know, for anybody in your family to suddenly feel like they were touched. Um... Can I do this without? Uh, I don't want to say no because, mm-hmm. um, as an adult looking back, you know, there's things going on that I did not recognize as being anything, you know, that I understood. So, but now as an adult to look back on some of the traumatic things that you remember, um, I don't think Amityville was the start for me. Okay, and well, it wasn't the end. We can leave it at that if that's uh, what you choose. Um, because I do know that you, you are coming forward with the whole story uh, down the line when you decide how to present that best. So uh, we'll, respect you. Your, we'll respect your wishes in, the, in that regard. Uh, and again, mm-hmm. if I ask any questions that you, don't, you, know, that you want to say, let's hold off and you know, wait to talk about that, that's fine. Just go right ahead and say it. Um, I don't want to overstep my bounds. No, that's cool. You know, I, I there's I, I, I look forward to just getting this whole thing off my chest and and you know, I don't want your lis- listeners to feel that I'm just being evasive. So I kinda wanna explain to your listeners what's going on in my life right now and why um I'm coming out in the first place. I mean thirty five sure. years is a long time to be quiet and then mm-hmm. suddenly say something. Um you know, this has been something that's bothered me bad enough. Like Tim mentioned, you know, um you, you know me as Christopher Lutz, but, you know, nobody knew Christopher Quartino, and I was hoping to be Christopher Quartino again, not, no longer associated to this story, um, by changing my name so people didn't know it was me anymore. I've done my best to try to leave this behind me through life. It's not something I like to talk about. They are traumatic experiences that, and, you know, when you remember something like this, it's not, it's really not even healthy. I, I can't tell you how much weight I've lost and just have, have been battling different things in my body on account of how sickening uh, this makes me when I when I look back on this. The only reason why I'm going through this at this point is, um, you know, I knew that there was a possibility that one day they could do another sequel movie. It was really a nightmare to me that it would ever be revisited. But now these... There's several companies that have made my nightmare now my day there. Um, to monitor the situation of what's happening with Amityville and different movie companies, I had set up Google email alerts so that every time the two words Amityville Horror appeared in the news, it showed up in my email. Yeah. It rests that way. Um, one day I opened up my email account to find a press release from a movie company company, Hannibal Classics, announcing that they were getting ready to make the next Amityville Horror sequel. And I 
it, it, it ate at me that somebody was going to do this again. And, you know, because for me, for the last 35 years, this thing has been, you know, told, retold, mistold, and now we're coming up into the upteenth telling. It's never going to die and go away. That was my first wish. Um, and that's not going to be a reality. There's not a way for me to stop this movie company from doing what they're doing because they do have rights. What they thing is that they just don't care about the truth and if they do get the rights from me, they'll just twist it. So, um, so, you know, I had read that email. It was it was a movie company called Hannibal Classics announcing that they're doing the next sequel called Amityville Legacy in 3D. Oh, how nice! Didn't they already do a 3D of the Amityville series? Well, the 3D yeah. technology is a lot better. And it was now. crap. And yeah. now they're just going to make more smut. And they're going to try to they're going to try to get your money out of your pocket, telling you, all right, here's another Amityville story, and they'll probably try to sell it to you like a real story, like they tried to in 2005. In 2005, they made that movie, and the first commercial that went on TV, the trailer, started out this way. It said this, we found the children's diaries. This is the real story. I'm guessing that's uh, that's not even close to the truth. Tim, not one of us kids kept a diary. No one from that movie production company contacted any one of us kids for one comment, let alone one real story. That, in any other business, is called fraud. Mm-hmm. And they sold that movie based on that premise. And, and, and rather quickly, that, that trailer, that movie trailer, disappeared and was cleaned up. And the one that you see now is the version that they left. But for about a month, roughly, that's how the other one, that's how the first trailer was saying it. So, you know, in 2005, that movie that got done, um, I won't get into all the rights issues and things like that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll put it this way. When, if you sign a con, if somebody puts a piece of paper in front of an eight-year-old and tells them, sign here, um, and then their parents sign it and say, all right, you got permission to depict my kid in your movie. Um what does a kid do about it when it's turned into something that it's not and sold as true? I, I, you really have no recourse, it. I would guess. Well, as a kid, what do you do? I don't know. What I'd have to ask what you did. Okay. I did. There was nothing I could do. I didn't even know what the word fiction meant versus nonfiction. Mm-hmm. At, seven, at eight years old, you know, what is it? What, what's this book you guys wrote? You know, as kids, we weren't to see the the read the books, watch my parents go out on interviews on TV, or read the articles. They just wanted us to grow up and and be normal. This is what they told us. Well, it got kind of difficult because my name, Chris, is in the book, and so it didn't matter how far away we flew, fled from Amityville. When you wind up in moving to to California and you're a little kid in a public school with a New York accent, you kind of stick out. And then, oh, what's your parents' name? And you're from New York? You know, that would be 
was a, a, a smashing box office thing back when it came out. That movie went around the world. So both said my parents, they went on a world tour. And so I didn't know they could say but, you know, kids at school are like, liking me for some reason. This is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Until everybody starts saying, you guys are liars. Well, what do you mean? A liar. Well, that, you know, must, that I, must have been worse. I experienced something in there, but I didn't know what was being told to these people. Mm-hmm. So well, I'm trying to explain to these kids, you know, what happened. And they're saying to me, well, that's not what it was in the book, in the movie. You're a liar. What? You know, that's the kind of stuff I was dealing with. You know, uh, adults are pretty harsh on people when they think that they're, you know, even if they don't have all the information and they think you're pulling their leg, you know, they're pretty rude. Now, imagine how much ruder is our kids. So it just got really out of out of control. Um, I didn't know. Know, why people wanted to talk to me and you know when they did um, you know they basically didn't believe anything I'd say anyway so it, 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 it made for a troubling childhood just growing up with that now that was what was going on when I was outside the home and actually dealing with that than dealing with what was going on at home well, it was a mess. I was going to ask. I mean, what was the harder thing to deal with? Was it harder to deal with? Because you know, back in the in the mid to late seventies, like you said, people didn't talk about paranormal activity happening at home. Did you suffer more slings and arrows for having lived in a haunted house and and come forward with that information, or was it more people who claimed that you were just a hoaxer and your family was just trying to make money? Which one was well, the worst? Worst? Uh, worst to have to deal with? Well, you know. Here, here was the thing. When, when certain kids said to me, "Did anything really happen?" I'm like, "Yeah." And you know, they were having problems in their own homes, and then they'd tell me their stories. Well, those kids became my best friends mm-hmm. because you know I'm not the only crazy one. Um, you know, the rest of the kids that had no association with anything, you know, all they know is, you know, what they're being told in the media. What people like, you know, they're running cats and bags, not the first one calling us a hoax, you know. Um, and there's plenty of people that have been saying it all, all along. In fact, even the attorney that was, let's talk about those that call this a hoax and back up a little bit. Let's sure. put it in perspective. Because everybody says, well, the lawyer said it's a hoax. Well, okay, let's, let's remember, number one, he's a lawyer. Um, and and let's back up and see how this all came about. Um, when uh, when my parents moved in that house, you know, it wasn't immediate that things started happening. But once they did start happening, it was bad enough that they needed to get out of it. The um, you know, it was it was already like used as part of the defense for DeFeo that this insanity plea by uh, I don't remember exactly the plea that they put in, but uh, you know, along the lines of demonic possession. Mm-hmm. No, the voice is told him to do a type of thing. 
type of thing, yes. And so, uh, uh, you know, my parents haven't dealt with what they dealt with in there or like trying to back up that, hey, listen, we went through something and that kid needs help. You know, even though they were, did my parents certainly did not approve of the murders, but they thought that he should at least get some help because with what they had experienced, you know, anybody would need help. They were looking for help. And, you know, they contacted uh, DeFeo's lawyer, who was court-appointed defense attorney, a public defendant, someone that doesn't make a large income like a regular practicing lawyer. Mm -hmm. And so now this guy is seeing an opportunity with this defense that he's doing to fail um, and my parents show up and they're saying you know this guy is going to need some help because we have problems in there too um, you know when the attorney looks at this as a business opportunity and wants to write a book and wants to cut in the guy that killed his family to 5% of a book deal what do you think my parents should do? Mm. Do you participate in something where the guy that just murdered his four siblings brutally in their beds and his mom and dad is now going to get 5% of any book that you decide to do helping him? Yeah, you're going to go out and promote that book to help him make money. Yeah, uh, Absolutely no way they were going to agree to that. So... Um, you know, basically, here's what happened next. The uh, the very stuff that you know, George, George and my mom were telling. Uh, X is name. Sorry, I'm blanking out on this guy's uh, name. The lawyer, William, William Weber, Weber. Yeah, William is the guy's name, and so you know, Weber Weber's an attorney. He's a businessman. You know, it doesn't matter which way you turn it. He's still looking at it as a business. You know, he's turning what would have been a wrong thing. Uh, well, I, I guess it takes a special kind of guy to, to, to try to defend the murder sure, and yeah. get them off. You know, you know. I mean, the guy that got O.J. off did a damn good job. Sort of the one that just got off, you know, this little princess that just killed her little dog. Mm -hmm. You know, Kaylee Anthony. Casey Anthony. See, see, mur murderers do get off, and you know they got pretty slick attorneys handling their business. And so, when your attorney wants to give you five percent of a book deal that he's pitching, you know what kind of attorney do you have? You know he's not making much money working for the state. So let's look at motivation. This guy's been going around on his stump for all these years, saying what he's been saying. Oh, we just made it up over a couple of bottles of wine. Well, I think my parents were pretty traumatized at the moment. And so if they drunk, drunk some wine, I don't really think that that would be so unusual for anybody else that had a traumatic experience. Now, the amount of bottles of wine went from three up to four, you know, with each time he said it. So, you know, between three people, look, I don't know how much is your limit, but, uh, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know how many they really drank there. But here's what I do know. I do know that uh, my parents went through and scared the crap out of them, that they continued and even went to their grave saying something happened to them. Now, everything that has been said did happen. I know did not happen. And so, and I know things that the book said, George, there's many things that George said, no, that didn't happen either. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's many things that got done in movies, you know, like windows shattering or the glass goes flying. Well, course there's no physical evidence of that and if anybody is saying you know oh look no the windows ever had to get changed well look if you're going by the movie you're right not only did they not need to be changed but if you went by the real story not one piece of glass broke as far as the window so you know telling me that oh the windows never broke it must be a hoax really you know, there's a lot of little things that everybody's nitpicking at that never happened in the first place. And so they're trying to prove it a hoax based on, yeah, physical evidence. Yeah, I heard, you know, that front door got ripped off. A big wooden metal door. I'm telling you right now, it did not get ripped off. So there's a lot of little things that, uh, you know, people are trying to call it a hoax because of this, because of that. And let's get back to Weber again, because he's the one that that's been saying this for a long time. So so now, my parents tell a story that uh, loses its credibility based on some things that, uh, you know, shouldn't have been said, and somebody spiced up the story. Um, based on that, they call everything a lie. And this is what the public is, you know, first off, people back then didn't talk about the paranormal. Uh, you know, you, you didn't go around because you would, you disgrace your family. You know, nobody wants nobody wants to be looked upon that way. So, you know, that was the sort of thing you just kept your mouth shut about. And so, you know, here it was, late seventies, attorney need to make some money. He's willing to cut a book deal where the, the murderer gets a share of the profits. And my parents walk out on him. Well, of course Weber would very easily be able to walk in before a judge as an attorney and say your honor I helped them make up that incredible story Chris I, I, hate, now, I hate to cut I you off I am now entitled to proceeds from the movie and the books so he's for royalties so all he's got to do is say they made it up I hate to cut you off but we do have to take a break for the news let's leave it at that when we come back I definitely want to talk some more about this because what you're talking about here is what I've long suspected uh, is more the problem with this story that being William Weber. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some more inconsistencies with the book and what actually happened. I want to find out more about the inside story, about what went on in those 28 days at that house in Amityville, New York. And we will talk about that with tonight's guest, Christopher Quarantino. We'll also find out what his plans are uh, to tell the whole story coming up as well. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. He shakes the very foundation of every medical precept you hold dear. We have entered the realm. Of the supernatural. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with Asylum Assassin Matt Costa and Science Advisor Matt Moniz. 
And we are going to be getting back into the discussion about the true story of the Amityville Horror with our guest Christopher Corotino, formerly known as Christopher Lutz, in just a few moments. Just want to make a couple quick announcements, uh, that being that uh, tickets are still on sale for our Haunted History Night in Wareham on October 15th. Uh, if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com slash event, or if you click right on the Haunted History Night link right on the front page of our site, you can find out more information about what you're going to get. But it's, uh, it's going to be a fantastic night of investigating some of the most historic haunts in Wareham, including the Fearing Tavern, which has never been open to the public for investigation, and some other buildings uh, that have not been investigated at all, even by us. So uh, it's only $99 per ticket, so make sure that you uh, get them now while they're still available by going to SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, also coming up on the 25th is the South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair at the Seaport Inn and Marina. Uh, that will be uh, just $10 for a ticket or $9 if you buy them in advance. If you go to scparanormalfair.com, that's scparanormalfair with an E at the end of fair.com. And uh, we will give away a pair of tickets uh, at the end of the show. If you want to stay tuned, uh, I think we're giving away two two pairs of tickets uh, by the end of the show. So just stay tuned uh, and we'll do that at the end of the hour because we want to get right back into the discussion about the Amityville Horror case. And we were talking, Chris, before the uh, news break about William Weber and about this, this concocted story. And I wonder how much contact, and, and you may not know the answer to this, but how much contact uh, Weber had with Jay Anson when they were formulating that story? Uh, as, as best I know, they had no contact between them. But I don't, I, you know, I don't know the full details. I do know that those were, uh, in Weber's eyes, a competing company project. I mean, Weber had this intention to make this book and have this as part of one of the endings. And so, uh, basically what had happened was, uh, you know, Weber presented this deal to my parents and Weber's got his 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 goals in mind and he's going to make money and, you know, he needs to let us on board. And then they turned down the contract because they see that DeFeo, the murderer, is going to get paid for killing his family, a portion of the proceeds. So my parents bail on him. Uh, at the time, Weber already had some other people that were going to write it. Uh, I don't recall the names of all the parties, so I'll leave those names out of it. Mm-hmm. But there was a writer involved. And so they took the story that um, was the basis of how they wanted to do Weber's book with my parents when they wouldn't sign a deal. And they wrote it up and, and had it out in, uh, in uh, good housekeeping. And so my parents' story was made public in good housekeeping uh, from the writer that was working for William William Weber. And my parents weren't happy with the way that that story had been told. But now it's been made public. And so my parents tried to straighten out the story, and they they want the book written right, right. And so they somehow lost touch with Jay Anson who's got a history of doing documentaries. He should be able to do a good job. He does documentaries. Mm-hmm. And so Anson gets the job to write the book. Anson writes the book, and it looks like a diary with every day of what exactly took place. That's not accurate. And so that goes out and is, is with the name on the front of it, a true story. So now everybody's scrutinizing what Jay Anson had written, Versus what was written in the good housekeeping. The good housekeeping one was written without their permission. Now Anson's writing with their permission, but Anson just writes it like how he feels it should be written. And, and poorly by the way. himself. 
I want to add that in. Poorly written, by the way. Well, um, it did manage to sell quite a few, so <laughs> yeah. no matter how poorly you say it was... You can't argue um, with it, the result, it, yeah. Right. So, um, so you know, what, uh, Anson writing that book was completely a separate project from Weber. I don't know that they had any contact. I, you know, I wasn't in, into who was talking to who back then, but looking at it from today's perspective, I can't imagine that they had any contact until later when Weber wanted a piece of the action. So, well, um, Did you have any contact with Anson while he was writing the book? Did he ever interview you no, or your brother I, I and sister? I don't think I've ever even met the man, personally. I mean, if I did, it was... These are my children, and then we were all sent off to go play in our room. So, you know, it wasn't. I don't. I don't. I don't recall any interviews. No, basically, uh, my parents. I don't even think they met with them too much until the book was actually written, and it was time to go over the editing. George had part in that, um, but even by then, we we were. I believe we were in California already. Uh, by the time that was done, and Anson's office way was at six six six. Fifth Avenue in Oof. New York City, where his office was while he wrote the book The Amigo War. Um, so, you so know, that's th- just kind of a weird thing there that that for no, his def- office is definitely. As, as far as you know, then, then what was the process of him writing the book? Was, was he conducting interviews with your parents and and then kind uh, my, of my parents spoke into a recording device and then uh, gave him those tapes. Okay. And based on those tapes is how he, uh, you know, so I don't, I've never heard those tapes, um, you know, and so I don't know what I, because I eventually read that book as an adult, and uh, we can talk about that maybe if we have time. But uh, basically, you know, Anson wrote the book based on what he heard on the tapes, so... uh, Having not heard the tapes, I don't know if I should be blaming George or if I should be blaming Anson. Either way, it's wrong, um, you know, what's written in that book, and I don't care who is responsible. Uh, it came down to, you know, my parents are the ones who should have been controlling the story, and then this is what goes out, and so now, now they're responsible as the party who owns the story, and it's about them to be sure that it goes out truthfully. So whether or not there was any doctoring of the story as it's related to Anson or if Anson did his embellishing only, I couldn't tell you. All I know is what I read in that book is not what happened. You folks have not heard what really happened. And uh, that's that's what needs to be told. Now let's go into why I'm actually saying it now. Mm-hmm. Because I really didn't want to talk about this at all. In fact, in 2005, when the History Channel contacted me, uh, wanting to get the first time for an interview with any of the Lutz kids from the Amityville Horror, um, I hung up on them. I didn't want to talk to them. I didn't want to talk about this story. I had already changed my name years earlier and was trying to just, you know, uh, deal with life as it came and, you know, be me, not the Amityville kid. Um, you know, it was something that, uh, you know, the memories of it were tightly pushed into this closet in the back of my mind, and it wasn't an area that I would, you know, just 
dwell upon or think on as as, as little as I could. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a tough thing to forget about, especially that every year around Halloween that movie would be on TV again as you were flipping through the dots. It never went away. The public was always intrigued by it. There was always a new documentary coming up or something going on. And, you know, but then there was a part of my life where, you know, I'd, I had run away from home at 16, uh, managed to finish up high school and join the Army. Uh, I was uh, in, a, in a special force, uh, infantry unit, the 10th Mountain Division. Um, you know, we spent nine months out of the in world. I wasn't down at the local video store finding out what all these cheesy, uh, smut, straight-to-video movies of Ponyville had been made. You know, so as an adult, when I'm finding out there's already been, you know, eight movies, I was shocked. I was like, what? And then I started finding out what the storylines were about. You know, yeah, it was just man. Yeah. Come on. You bought a one. Okay. You know, and you killed it by throwing it out the window and it lands in the freaking ocean. Give me a break. You know, it's just, you know, all this stuff that just got... Here, here's what happened. The first movie was a success. My parents had another book going, Amityville Horror 2. And another company decides they're going to capitalize upon the, the success of the first film. And they make a second movie, uh, utilizing the, the name, and then trying to depict the DeFeos in a fictional way. And so, immediately, the parents' story got got jumped upon by others trying to make money. And so, um, anyway, everybody wanted a piece of the action and everybody figured out a way to do it. Whether they had to call it a hoax, whether they needed to steal the name and just turn it into a uh, uh, something where they profited by making a movie based on the title. The first movie did $86 million in the late 70s. Yeah, that's huge money. Huge, huge money. I mean, in... But how much was a gallon of gas back then? Well, and you say that, you know, you talk about all the movies that have been out, and of course there's been numerous television specials, television documentaries. I don't know how much time you spend reliving this through the eyes of others by watching these these shows and these movies, but has I'm any of just, these come... I, I'm disgusted about it, and I just try to leave it all behind me, you know. It's just trying to go on all with my life. Has any of it ever come close to telling... close to what you no, experienced? You're, 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 Here's one fundamental thing that's completely missed. In 2005, when, uh, and, and, and I'll show you how, I'll establish for you how I figured it out, what, what was missing from the story that makes it make sense. In 2000, in the year 2000, I get approached by these guys wanting me to do this history channel. A guy named Rick Osuna is calling me up, representing himself as though he works for the history channel. Saying he's, you know, look, we want, you to come on this documentary. We'll be traveling to Scottsdale, Arizona, to to interview your mom. My mom was ill. If anybody's seen that History Channel documentary, she couldn't travel. That's why they all came here. And so these guys know they're coming to Scottsdale. I've been living with my mom for years, uh, making sure she still had a roof over her head, so that my little sisters could continue to go to school where they were. Um, that's why I was there. Uh, after, after the army, after I got out, and then got called back a year later to ship out for Desert Storm, and then I came back from that. I was living up in Aspen, Colorado. Mom was ill; she needed help, um, and I manned up and took care of what, you know. By then, George and my mom were divorced. 
mom again with still kids in the house that still needed to go to school. And she contracted the thing called Valley Fever. They had to cut off the, the lower section of her lung, fold it over, stapled it shut, and sent her home. She needed help. That's why I was there. So these guys calling me up want me to do this History Channel documentary. Oh, we've, nobody's ever talked to the children. This would be great for our documentary. Um, you know, we'd really like to get you on. And I hung up on him. I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. I didn't want to talk about it. And he didn't want to take no for an answer. So each year, each week I'm getting a, a call back trying to overcome my last objection. Well, you know, here, and basically it came down to this. It's the History Channel. It's your opportunity to straighten out the story. And I dwelled upon that long and hard. And, you know, here is the opportunity. This is the History Channel. Here's my chance to straighten out the story. Look, I don't know how long you guys are going to give me to tell what I got to say, but, you know, if you'll give me a list of um, questions up front, um, I'll consider doing it with you. And so they sent me out that list of questions, and in the list of questions, one of them is asking me this. What's the difference between what ha- really happened in the house and what it says in the book? Well, I couldn't answer the question. I was going to look like an idiot on TV. Mm-hmm. Because I hadn't read the book, and I couldn't answer the question. And so I got a hold of one of the copies of the book, and I read it for the first time as an adult that could understand what he was reading. And Tim, imagine this, man. Imagine I'm holding your family photo in my hands. And I'm telling your listening audience what happened to you in your family photo album. How accurate do you think I'd be? Uh, No, I see what you mean. Okay, because this book that I'm holding in my hands is basically, on the front cover, it says a true story. The words create a picture of a time and a place and a thing and an activity that involves me. It's like I'm supposedly looking at a, a snapshot from my family album. Each page as I go by is describing a time, a place, thing, and everything. And I'm reading this thing, and I cannot believe what I'm reading. I'm getting pissed with every page I turn. And then I'm starting to see how this thing's developing into a story where where George is depicted as a victim of this house and a hero to the family, getting us away from it all in the end. And I am going off. I cannot believe what I'm reading. This is page after page of this. That's That's not how you would describe it having happened? No. No, not at all. And I am, I am livid, pissed off. And uh, you know, like I was saying, like my mom was ill, and we were brought up to respect your mom. And I had never raised my mom, my voice to my mom, but this had me over the edge. I could not believe what I was reading, and my mom can't understand why I'm so pissed off, and I'm yelling at her. She's trying to get me to calm down. She's in my room, sitting on my bed. I'm sitting at my desk in my office chair. And I handed her the book. I had it, had it open to a certain page. I don't remember which story it was about. There's so many that were wrong. And I said to Mom, read this. And I watched as she read down the page. And by the time she got to the end of the page, Tim, her jaw had dropped. And I'm like, yeah, Mom, that's how this whole book is. I'm watching her. She can't believe what she just read. And this is a, the book that she's been going around the world saying it's a true story, along with George. For 25 years and, at this point, yeah. Yes. And mom's like astonished what she's reading. 
And I, you know, I knew who was in charge of telling this story, uh, and it was George. Mom basically was trying to care for his kids. You know, we were, we were a mess, and and George was that way. He was a take charge guy. Anything having to do with business, he felt that he was the one that made the hand. And so, you know, Mom didn't really have her hand on the editing button. So, here's, uh, you know, so now I'm understanding this with Mom. I'm still pissed off. And it's like three days before this History Channel interview. And I'm asking my mom, what is George doing? I, I had a difficult time with George, and that was why I left at 16. It, I'm not going to get into everything why I left, but it was not the kind of a situation that I felt was... I, I, I felt that I could do better elsewhere on my own at 16. Okay. Um, so so here it was, you know, I'm, uh, it's now, I'm, now I'm an adult, and I'm reading what this thing that you've been spreading around the world and all these other movies that have been coming out uh, while well, I didn't know what was going on and and now these guys want me to come in and talk about it and now my mom's relaying to me and George is getting ready to make another movie and that this guy that is calling me up want me to come in to do this History Channel interview does not work for the History Channel interview, uh, for the Ch- History Channel he's making an independent production that's going to air on the History Channel and the guy that's calling me up trying to get me to come in and give him an interview everything that happened to me for $200 is writing the next book for George and the guy that's going to be interviewing me in the interview is going to be writing the next move and they want me to come in for $200 hmm. and they're working with George I can't believe what they're trying to do I mean I, this is unbelievable I can't believe they're even going to talk about the story again I'm pissed off, you know, I'm doing so, so I kept my commitment to come in for that interview, but what I did was I walked in with my own video camera, my best friend was running it, and I began to interview them first and got them to admit the very things that I just figured out, that they're trying to get my story from me for $200, and you're not telling me you're going to write a new book. You're not telling me you're getting ready to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And all this is on tape. One day I'll put that up. Um, and so that interview did not go very very congenial. Um, that was the first time I was seeing George in I don't know how long. Um, and here now he can face me as a man and see if he wants to treat me like he used to as a kid. Um, so it was rather confrontational between George and I. Um, and on top of that, to boot, that you know I'm reading this thing for the first time and this is what you told the world was true? No. And what's this movie about that you guys are getting ready to make? And Rick blurts out, oh, it's about a son returning to the house. I'm like, what? And Daniel Ferencz realizes that I had figured out and and Rick screwed up by telling me that they were getting ready to make a movie about a son returning to the house. Well, if you're going to be calling it the Amityville Horror, and and it's based on the first book, that title, and there was only two boys, you're talking about me. And I don't like it. Get a new gig back then, and they decided not to. They both went about their business, and it turns out that today, the very guy that tried to steal my story back then for 200 bucks is the one that wrote the screenplay for this new movie by Bob Weinstein that's going to be produced by uh, Jason Blum, who did Paranormal Activity. 
And this is the lost. Now, this is the lost tapes movie, right? The one that's from Miramax. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, the, and I found out later <coughs> that in that movie that had George's approval on it, he was going to have his son return to the house and kill him through Timothy in the end of his movie. Wow. That's and and when when you said the people and that were working... so and so the very guy that wrote that. Is now look when George died in two thousand six. I thought the horror was over, mm-hmm. but his contracts live on. Daniel Ferns is the last of what they had dubbed themselves the Demon Dream Team. He strengthened himself by aligning himself with some of the bigger names in horror. Up till then, Daniel Ferns' name claimed to fame Halloween, Halloween Six. Started out as a comic book writer. Well, the, we don't we don't disparage uh, Halloween Six because that's the Daniel Harris one. So, but that's that's a different <laughs> story. Uh, but I mean, we, and you said Rick Osuna was involved in that too, right? And that's the book that is based upon uh, uh, the the DeFeo's Died documentary that Ryan Katzenbach was working. Well, when, then at this point, Rick was working closely with George. If you'll. Is the foreword to the book that he was going to write for George is online somewhere, and it says that all the information that he needed to verify, he had verified, and was fully behind the story. Basically, I showed up after all that, and went on to their forum chat room, where, where Rick Osuna, along with Daniel Ferens and their other team members of the Demon Dream team, were getting to go into a full-on marketing thing, and they were getting, gathering people into their forum and telling them all these things that were according to George, the true story. And I showed up and acted just as though I was just in the body. I started asking regular questions like anybody else would. You know, what happened about this or that? And then let them warm up to me and, and my uh, uh, the name that I was using was Clandestine27. Clandestine 27. Uh, basically, I'd sent in a, an acronym and uh, asked all these questions, got them to start answering, and then, and so has anybody talked to the kids? What do they have to say? Do they agree with their parents? And I sat and I watched as all these guys started saying, oh yeah, the kids all agree with their parents. And then I came in with my other computer, under my own name, and uh started answering the questions that I had just asked in front of them as yes, and started turning the conversation to my own favor and telling what was really going on as though I was... So I, I made buffoons of them right in front of their fans. And so there was no... Lost. Um, you know, it was war. I was flat out, not putting out with any more crap. And I did my best to uh, uh, rattle the ship. And the things that I was saying cast doubt upon George's story. And so Rick, basically, my, my objective to go, was to go in there and, and uh, divide and conquer. Well, Rick splintered off from George and decided to hook up with uh, the Lady Geraldine DeFay, uh, uh, Gates. You know, she never... Look, there's a lot of information that's that's been put out about her daughter. I... Um, there's a lot more that you can do research on. You know, she says she was married to DeFeo at the time of the murders, and but court records show that she was married to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's 
I kind of got questions in my own mind. Look, I've never met the lady. I don't want to wish her bad vibes, but don't start calling my heart story a hoax when I find out that you're lying. Yeah, true. You've never heard my story. You heard my parents' story. Well, what? Um, there's a very different thing that happened in there. Because here's what here's what I was looking at. I know we're running out of time, so I want to start getting it on some point. Sure. Um, look, here's what happened when when I read that book. Not only was I seeing things in there that did not happen, the things that made this whole story make sense were not in there. Because George is being portrayed as a victim, but any a victim of this haunted house and a and a hero to his family, saving them in the end. But the way I knew it was George was practicing things, dealing with the occult, calling things up. And when that when we left that house, that stuff followed us. Well, what 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 are you talking about? Because I mean, we've been told that uh, your parents practiced transcendental meditation, and that the church had suspicions that that might have played into what happened. But it sounds like you're talking about something far worse than TM. Well, for, first off, let, let let's talk about how TM is practiced. Are you, are you guys familiar with it at all? Yes. Yep. A little bit, okay. but uh, our audience might not be. Okay. Um. Uh. In 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 the process of, of just a transcendental meditation. Here's what you, here's what they would have you to do. You would sit down on the floor, with your legs crossed, your feet or your uh, your your hands on your knees in an upright position. Uh, in some instances, you'll put your first three fingers together, your thumb with the first two two one fingers. And what you're doing is, is you're going to sit in an upright posture with your chakras open. Well, what are your chakras? Those are the energy centers. Uh, within your body. Uh, and what you're going to do is you're going to sit and just kind of tr- look to clear your mind and then you're going to begin to repeat a word over and over and over. Uh, what you're doing by repeating the word over and over and over is you're repeating with one Now, the word that you are told to repeat, uh, lots of people don't understand, know this part. The name, the word that you're to repeat is actually the name of a spirit. And what you're trying to do calling the name of the spirit over and over and over and over again is to call and conjure the spirit to come into you whether this spirit is for peace love joy happiness calmness these are like you would think would be good things now there's a reason why they have you sit that way with your chakras open you're looking to have this spirit enter you through these chakras through your energy centers now, what's, what's going to happen if you start calling on names that aren't joy, love, and peace? And they are the name of spirits. Or, or just the fact that you're opening yourself up. It doesn't matter what you're calling. The fact that you're opening up those centers, kind of anything could walk through that door. Well, now, when, you're, when, you're, when the word that you're speaking over and over is a known demon that is like as dark as they come and that's you're using a practice that is used so that you can have a spirit enter into you what have you just done invited and now you're going to do that in the house where a mass murder just happened only 13 months before now so now was this intentional or was just George into these different things well, I'll discuss that further later, but uh, contrary to what Anson put out in the interview, this 
George was not unaware of the occult. What you're Paranormal saying... Paranormal phenomena was not a new thing to George. And so to play it off as though he was a victim of this house and a hero, responsibility for this, um, you know, the thing, I'm just a victim. And we ran away, we got my family out of here, look. I'm a good guy. Well, uh, what, what do you think? I'm a hero. Now, of course, if, if it had been spoken that, you know, George is doing what he's doing, people would have looked at this story completely different. They would have said, what do you think was going to happen, dumbass? Absolutely. You got what you deserved. You call up the devil. Who do you think is going to show up? Can, can and, you so, sp- and so when we left that house, those things followed us. So, you know, because it was attached to him and now our family. And so, yeah. Nobody else in the house has had a problem. Yes. Now, do you understand why? Yeah, there could that could have very well had all sorts of stuff going on in it uh, at the time. So, reason to the to the to the murders. Um, there's not a reason that it couldn't be haunted. Um, now, for George to be doing what he was doing, now you've got the scenario for what could be a perfect storm. Some a tragedy that exists, and now you're. We're going to bring in these other dark spirits. Well, I've and long- so when we leave, and it follows us, to me, as an adult, looking back, you know, um, I'm a skeptical guy. I've heard a lot of people's stories. And, you know, I know the way that my own stepdad peppered ours. So, you know, don't, 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 you know, I don't like it when somebody bullshits me. Well... And so I'm not looking to do that with you guys. This is just the the way that I see it as an adult looking back at it. I've I've gone through 11 years of investigation now, trying to explain to myself what had happened. I have to ask you this, though. If if George was perhaps trying to conjure this, can you speculate as to for what reason he would do that? Uh, That's question one. And question two is, did he continue these practices after you left that house? Um, Father Ray got on him. Father Ray was the priest that was in has testified that he was slapped and told to get out. Father Ray continued to stay a big part of our lives and, and counseled George on a number of things. One of those was specifically what he had been doing. And so, yeah, George did stop that. Okay. Um, at the advice from that priest. That priest stayed involved in our lives for a very long time, and we needed him for a very long time. Um, the, uh, you know, this wasn't something that just ended when we moved out. For me, that was just the beginning. Why was it started, though? Yeah, for what reason did he did he was he trying to conjure these these spirits? You no, know, it'd be unfair for me to just just say that. Um, you know, categorically, this is what that man's thoughts and intentions were. Mm-hmm. Because I honestly don't know what his thoughts and intentions were. Okay. There's some things I could expect, I could speculate, but he's not here to defend himself any longer. I mentioned while he was alive publicly that he was involved in the occult, and his response basically was he wrapped me up in a lawsuit. Hmm. Well, I guess uh, that kind of. Speaks for itself to some degree, but what what are what are your thoughts about his involvement in his later years with the paranormal community? He worked very closely with a number of people in the paranormal community uh, later on, and it's almost like 
you know, it was a, a new angle to keep perpetuating that story. Did did you look at that as with any kind of uh, strange eye? Well, you know, he he. I told you what the movie that he wanted to make was about. Yep. About a son coming here through telepathy in the end of the movie, and uh, that was only one of three movies he wanted to do. He had a three motion picture deal with Daniel Ferns, and this is the first one that there is coming to fruition now in the association of Weinstein's company. Um, I know that we're down to the last 19 minutes before the hour, um, so there's a lot. There's so much I just want to, you know. There's so much to try to straighten out with the story. There's no way we could do it even in this two-hour show. No, um, there's, there's so many questions of, that I have, yes, I'll always so have for you. So much has been said. And so, so I kind of want to kind of uh, let people know that uh, number one, the reason that I'm coming forward out and out now is that these not only is, it, is there those two movie companies that I've already talked about, um, but I, I there was two documentaries that were in the works. One by my brother, uh, who's not you know really in charge of the way the story's being told. I hope that the guy editing it does it does it better justice than the other people that have tried to edit together my family story you know um so i don't know how that's going to come out um i i my brother and i have not spoken in years uh danny sold out to mgm in 2005 i refused um you know i was on seventy thousand dollars by mgm so and i flatly turned it down because what they wanted to do was buy my rights so that they could fictionalize this story further and even make more sequels. And if I was not happy, there was a clause in the end that was a gag order. If you're not happy and you speak it out publicly, that's a breach of contract, and now we're going to sue you. Because we screwed you, and now we're going to screw you again. I was not stupid enough to a contract like that. But my brother insisted that I was stupid if I didn't. Because we, he was going to get 85 bucks, 85,000 bucks at the end of the week, and up to $170,000, depending on how it didn't do I said, I'm not the stupid one, and I got him to get out. And we haven't hardly spoken since. Um, that's unfortunate, but that's the way it went. Mm-hmm. So when I was asked to be involved in my brother's documentary, and I knew that he'd already sold out, um, well, that means that anything he says, you know, if, you know, even though MGM's not here, well, the Weinsteins now own those rights. And so anything that Danny says in his documentary can immediately be developed into a film and fictionalized because he already sold them that right. I'm not going to contribute to anything getting further fictionalized. Um, I didn't want to, I was kind of like pretty pissed off that the things were happening. You know, I love my brother. Don't get me wrong. Um, the thing is, you know, we have a different point of view of what should happen with sure. the true story. Um, and, and uh, you know, in the night, see Ryan Reynolds running around uh, you know, tooting his horn, and you know he's he's a director now, and his film to the Titanic, um, and the filming of it. Um, remember what the Titanic? Anyway, you know if I, I I'm very interested to see what research, actual, I, I'm very interested to see Ryan Ryan Katzenbach's film. Uh, so part that I really is what the forensic evidence is 
of how that murder actually happened. Because, you know, I mean, look, six people all shot in that house with a marlin. Look, I don't know if you guys understand just how loud that gun is. But, I'm, a, I'm a range safety uh, officer, yeah. Uh, uh, there, how, look, the father got two, two rounds. The mother got one. The other brothers each got one, I think. So that's five rounds. And then, then they're going to go to the other daughter on that same floor. There's six rounds. And then there's going to be another person upstairs. Look, one round of that thing going off. Um, I don't care how sleepy you are, you know, you're going to, I would expect that you're going to hear something. Well, you know, so there's some elements to this that, uh, I think may be able to be explained. You know, I don't, I don't consider everything that happens to be paranormal myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not an, I'm not, you know, hey, look, I, I, I'll, I scrutinized George's story. There's a lot of things that he said, and uh, I've got some, some, I'll, I'll bring these things up later. Look, I'm calling, calling bullshit. If anybody would in this family would have called this whole thing a hoax, it would have been me. George sued me. You know, he left my mom in the condition that she was, and I, I let's not even get into all that. You know, I left home, like I mentioned, because I felt that I could do better elsewhere. You know, there, I, I did not get along with George. I felt as though I was treated as a stepchild. Um, and, you know, that doesn't, I don't know if that means anything to you guys. Some of those that are out there that have dealt with that situation. Um, and the guy was a former Marine and he was heavy handed. So, uh, you know, he had a lot of disdain for that. How easy it would be for me to just say the whole thing's a hoax and just have it over and done with. Look, I didn't want to talk about it, you know. Um, but, you know, I also am a man of integrity. And that wouldn't be true either, to call this a hoax. I did experience quite a bit, and I still deal with stuff to this day because of what was brought upon our family. And I'm not just talking about, you know, books and movies and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. There's still a paranormal element that, that happens in my life almost cyclically on a cycle. Um, and all I can do is deal with it each time it happens. Is it and, is it as negative as, as what was in the Amityville house? <laughs> Wait till you hear. I'm, I'm not paying, I'm not even gonna like. Look, I get chills when I talk about what just happened recently. And do you feel like for speaking out now? Uh, I'm, I understand the reasons why you feel you need to tell your story. Do you fear repercussions from this from this entity, from this force, for doing so? You know what? I don't know that it'd make any difference if I told it or not. Because if it's going to be on a cycle, it's going to be back. I might as well just kick its ass every time and then show other people how to kick its ass. Because this is a story, for me, For me, it's a story about spiritual warfare. It's a story about the emotional roller coaster that you go through to finally get to the place of faith and figuring out what you got to do to be able to deal with it and maintain any kind of sanity. Um, um, I'm actually going into an area that I wasn't planning on discussing right now, but it's, that's where this is going. Okay, because it didn't end for me in Amityville. That for me was the beginning. Do you do you want to expand on that, or do you want to wait? No, um, 
I, there's plenty to talk about later, but we're down to down. We close out the honor here in about what twelve minutes. Yeah. Okay, so let's do this. Let's talk about what I'm doing now. Yeah, let's talk the, about um, that. Uh, you know, as I had mentioned, there's different movie companies that are that are producing. There's three. Uh, I had I had issued a challenge to to Hollywood, or when I found out that they were going to make these movies, I challenged them. I says, look, to me, I was saying to myself, I can't stop them. Look, they have rights. They're exercising their rights. In the court of law, I can't walk in and get them to stop. I can't pull an injunction unless I can prove they are depicting me. And, you know, there's no way for me to prove it unless I can, you know, uh, you got to do this thing of sanction and all that. And, man, I don't have that money for lawyers. They got, they got what, 20 of them on staff? They just spent enough money to buy the collection from MGM. You think they're, I think they can't afford to pay some attorneys that, um, you know, one that I can afford? Mm-hmm. Well, you're, <laughs> well, Chris. So there was nothing I could do was figure out a different way to beat them. Chris. And I know that I can tell a creepier story than they can. There's no question in my mind about it. Uh, absolutely zero. Uh, this story has never been told the way it really happened, and and I think people not only deserve that, I think they'll be a bit freaked out when they do understand why what happened actually happened. And then how do you deal with all that after it goes through, follows you around for life? Not just in you know your own personal life, but... Um, those that are around you too. Um, now, now, look, it was tough enough just dealing with them doing what they're doing, and then I'm dealing with the paranormal in my real life at the same time. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't until I was able to fight the things that are in the dark and that are unseen that it seems no big deal anymore to take on Hollywood. Chris, some of your skeptics would say that what you're doing now is you're just trying to get your your, your final sense out of it your, your your last bit of money that um i personally think it's you're yourself trying to get your own story out but other people look at you as probably looking to get your your 50 cents out of it then that's what what, um, that that's fair for somebody to say that that has absolutely no knowledge of what's been said up to now now, if it was your life story that had been all over, right? I'd want to get it fixed. The world, but I'm um, saying that's you know, what other critics people, would those say. Those people, if they if their life story had been blasted all around the world and it was not truly what happened, and you know, here's another angle to this. Um, you know, if you guys could tell me what happened uh, uh, to that guy that jumped out of that plane all those years ago with all that loot, DB Cooper, that, money that couldn't be found. D.B. Cooper? Yeah. And I would love to hear that story. If you could tell me with absolute certainty who who killed John F. Kennedy all these years later, I'd sure want to know. Because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of theories on all of those. I can't tell you the answer to those. I can tell you the answer to what really happened in Amityville. And if you think I'm just cashing in, well, um, next time you walk in, I just walked into Walgreens my local pharmacy and up on the countertop was these stupid pens all you had to do was push the back end of the button and you could hear uh, what's that chick from Jersey's George name her voice on the back of a pen and the other characters on it 
for $10. You can hear them laugh on the backside of your, you know. So, so you know, is if, if I shouldn't even occur my story to that, because that's like, that's what would be called catching me. If you had some stupid trinket that you're going to, like, run selling to people, that's called last-ditch effort catching yourself. Yeah. I'm not trying to sell you a trinket. I'm, tra- I'm telling you the true story. If you want to hear it, great. If you don't, move along. There's plenty of other bullshit to listen to. Well, I mean, we are coming up uh, on, on the end of the show here. Okay, um, we're down to last, uh, less than seven minutes, so let's just get on with what what's happening in my life now. I called a challenge to the Hollywood producers saying this. Now, what you do, you are good. But when it comes to the Amityville horror and what happened after, I can tell a creepier story than you. And I'm calling a contest. And we're going to do this in the vein of American Idol, where the, where the public casts their vote, determining the outcome and the ultimate winner. It's a good idea, but have you heard back from anybody? Yeah, the only word out of Hollywood was another movie company announcing they're making a movie also named Amityville. One's Amityville Haunted. So now there's three movies coming out. They haven't answered my call, but I'm moving on with the challenge anyway because the people still get to vote. I don't care if they step up or not. Here's how you can here's how you can look more into this. Go to www.amityvillehorrorchallenge.com and find me on the Facebook too. I'm sorry. I just want to repeat the website: amityvillehorrorchallenge.com. Correct. AmityvilleHorrorChallenge.com And I'm also on the Facebook by the very same name. Um, and on the Facebook page, if you'll like it, as I put out, it'll appear on your personal page. So you'll be able to keep up. I'm going to try to keep the, the updates to a minimum, but there's new people coming all the time. So mm-hmm. I don't want to send you guys so much information that you're tired of me. Um, but at the same time, I'm still looking to grow at the same time, and I, I need to post. Um, but just like it, and uh, uh, as this thing develops, I'll be able to put out more information. You know, part of Hollywood not stepping up and answering my challenge, now I've increased my challenge. Not only uh, am I saying that I can tell a creepier story than you, I've picked my title. And the title of my book is The Creepiest Story of All Time. And I'm going to back that up with a creepy or your money back guarantee. Anybody want to your story that's how confident I am I get chills when I tell my story I don't doubt that you will or at least find it creepy so much so am I confident that I'm offering a creepy or your money back guarantee something that Hollywood will never make and I'm coming out I'm starting last and I'm out first look forward to hearing from me one real life creepy story Live, uncut, edited, a fireside chat from the fire pit in my backyard with hot chocolate in hand, October 30th, Halloween Eve. It's going to be a webcast. $5, creepy, or your money-back guarantee, pay-per-view. And you'll have now, what am I, now, I'm not just trying to do this to get your money. Here's what I'm going to do with that money that I do get from the pay-per-view. I'm going to... I'm going to start my own production company, become my own uh, executive producer, and keep control of this story until it's told exactly the way it needs to be told in a format 
that competitive with Hollywood and beat them at the very thing they think they do best. So October 30th, Fireside Chat, first time ever, one of the real-life kids from the Amityville Horror are going to tell one real-life creepy story, offering creepy or your money back. There you go. Can't go wrong with that. And that's going to be on AmityvilleHorrorChallenge.com. Stay tuned to that website for all the updates. Uh, before we let you go, Chris, I do want to ask one question. We didn't really get into a lot of the specifics about what went on in those 28 days. Hopefully sometime, you know, once you tell your story in the way that you want to do it, you can come back and share more of it with us. But I want to ask you just one thing, uh, and that's looking back at it all and looking back at what your family went through and what you've suffered as a result of it. Um, I mean, I guess I, I have to say, even though you had very little choice being seven years old, uh, are you sorry for the time that you spent there and the effect it had in your life? You know, I don't, I, I, I don't know what my life would have been like had it been different. Mm-hmm. Um, who I've become today, uh, I'm, I'm not disappointed with. I walk upright before my God as best I can. Every one of us is sinners, but we try to do what's right. You know, I went on to join the military, sought to defend our country and do what was right that way. I stepped up when my mom was ill and tried to do what was right there. I stepped up and did the right thing when I thought the story should, should not be twisted and refused 170 grand. And now I see these movie companies doing what they're getting ready to do, and I feel that I'm doing the right thing now. Because for a man to know what to do but does not do it, for that man it is sin. For me, I know that the story needs to be straightened out. I'd like to be quiet about it, but I can't and do it in good conscience. This story's been told the way it has for 35 years. It's probably going to never die, and it's going to go forward. I either got to straighten it out now or forever hold my peace. The thing is, I have no peace about it, and so uh, I'll be putting my peace into it. All right. Thank you so much, Christopher Quarantino, for joining us. Uh, formerly known as Christopher Lutz, the true story of the Amityville Horror. Stay tuned to AmityvilleHorrorChallenge.com for more updates. We've got to go. We're up against the clock here, but we'll be back next week, and uh, we'll talk about the South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair. If you want to win a, two pairs of tickets, we'll take the first two callers at 508-996-0500 or one and we'll give you uh, two free tickets. So until next week, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, we want you all to stay spooktacular.